All right, here's the title of the Babylon Bee article. Man, 91, dies waiting for the will of God. Tupelo, Mississippi, Walter Houston, described by family members as a devoted Christian, died Monday after waiting 70 years for God to give him clear direction about what to do with his life. He hung around the house and prayed a lot, but, never just, but just never got that confirmation, his wife Ruby said. Sometimes he thought he heard God's voice, but then he wouldn't be sure. He'd start the process all over again. Houston, she says, never really figured out what his life was about, but felt content to pray continuously about what he might do for the Lord. Whenever he was about to take action, he'd pull back because he didn't want to disappoint God or go against him in any way. Ruby says he was very sensitive to always remain in God's will. That was primary to him. That's a fake Christian news story, okay? Uh, the Babylon Bee is awesome, okay? Uh, but it's actually reprinted in Kevin DeYoung's book, Just Do Something. It is ridiculous, I know, but probably a little closer to how we really engage in decision-making than we would care to admit, okay? He was very sensitive to always remaining in God's will. What exactly does that mean? What exactly does that mean? How... Do you know what God's will is? How do you know if you're in it? What happens if you fall out of it? You're in week three of the Guidance Course Seminar, and that is our topic for today. What exactly is God's will, and what relevance does it have for how we make decisions? So you'll recall that our first step in making decisions is to consecrate those decisions to the Lord. To understand the larger context for that decision that He defines, we started fleshing that out last week with the doctrine of God's providence, His sovereignty over all things. And today we're going to get into the question of His will. So, let's begin by answering what is a surprisingly thorny question. What is the will of God? It's a surprisingly thorny question. And then let's apply that to the decisions we're called to make in life. Now... Before we can attempt to answer that question for any particular situation, we need to start by carefully defining our terms. As it turns out, when we turn to Scripture, we see that the will of God is used in a variety of contexts and doesn't always have the same meaning. Traditionally, Christians have referred to the will of God in one of two ways. First, and by the way, if you don't have a, just a note-taking uh, sheet, you can grab those on the back. That'll, that'll help you if you want to grab that. First, there's God's will of decree. God's will of decree. This is also called God's will of providence, and it's largely what we looked at last week, and it essentially means God always gets his way. Okay? God always gets his way. Ephesians 1.11 says he works all things according to the counsel of his own will. Psalm 115.3 says our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Ultimately, brothers and sisters, everything that happens, happens according to God's will of decree. Second, there is God's will of command. God's will of command. This is also called his will of desire. In Deuteronomy 29.29, Moses describes this alongside God's will of decree, and he says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do, that we may do all the words of this law. We don't know God's will of decree. Absolutely everything that ultimately happens. We do not know God's will of decree. But we do know his commands. 
We do know his will of command. And it is absolutely God's will that we obey his will of command. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Paul says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. God's will here, his will of command, is that we be sanctified. So, when you ask the question, what is God's will? You need to be clear what you mean. If what you mean is, what is God's will of decree, then you're essentially saying, what is the future? And that's not something God has given us to know. But, well, and in fact, James 4 rebukes us for assuming or presuming that we can know the future. That's God's job, not ours. But then again, if what you mean is, what is God's will of command? Then the answer is very clear. Look at the Bible. That's his will of command. Look at the Bible. As Paul writes in 1 Timothy 3.16, the scriptures provide what we need to be, quote, complete and equipped for every good work, end quote. So the Bible gives us the whole counsel of God's will. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, ah, I'm not coming for a theological question or a conundrum, BJ. I want to know whether it's God's will for me to marry so-and-so or whether it's God's will for me to take this job or not. Here's how another author addresses the question. If we ask, how can I know the will of God? We may be asking the wrong question. The scriptures do not command us to find, to find God's will for most of life's choices, nor do we have any passages instructing on how it can be determined. Yet, if we persist in searching for God's will because decisions require, I'm sorry, yet we persist in searching for God's will because decisions require thought and sap energy. We seek relief from the responsibility of decision-making, and we feel less threatened by being passive rather than active when it comes to making important choices, end quote. Okay, now that is, that is a critical take on the matter. I will give you that. That is a critical take of the matter. We may not be asking the question, how can I know God's will, merely out of being passive or lazy. We may not be doing that, but perhaps sometimes, Yeah. But we may not be, but he does still make a good point, right? We need to ask the questions that Scripture leads us to ask. And is it God's will for you to marry so-and-so probably isn't the best question. It's probably not the best question. Now, before we go any further, let me clarify that last point a bit by describing what God's will is not. Uh, we've seen what it is, but sometimes it's helpful to see what something is not. So let's look at a common misperception about God's will. Here's Jared Sitzer's, Gerald Sitzer's description of a typical way of looking at God's will. Okay, here's a typical way of looking at God's will. Quote, Conventional understanding of God's will defines it as a specific pathway we should follow into the future. God knows what that pathway is, and he has laid it out for us to follow. Our responsibility is to discover that pathway, God's plan for our lives. And if we make the right choice, we will receive his favor, fulfill our divine destiny, and succeed in life. If we choose wrongly, we may lose our way, miss God's will for our lives, and remain lost forever in an incomprehensible maze. In short, the will of God is not like a choose-your-own-adventure book. Okay? 
where if you, you guys, does anybody remember those? I don't know if they have them on iPads now or, you know, uh, click here if you want to see this ending. Tough crowd. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Thank you, Matt. It, um, God's will is not like a choose your own adventure book where if you find the right path, you go on to glory. And if you turn to the wrong page, you die a horrible death in a volcano. God will not be hampered in his will to do you good in all things. Just think Romans 8.28. Okay. God's will is also not a fairy tale of comfort and happiness. As we'll see in a few minutes, God cares about our eternal happiness more than he cares about our temporal happiness. Just because, just because something bad happens to you doesn't mean that somehow you missed God's will. It means that God has good in mind for you that's worth the cost of what you're experiencing. Okay? God's will is also, a tar- is, is also not a target that you can somehow miss. Okay? God's will is not a target that you can somehow miss. Do you remember the very first uh, course seminar when I shared with you the introductory illustration of I had moved to Lubbock and I was absolutely, I was absolutely undone with worry that I had missed God's will in moving to Lubbock and I was outside of God's will. I now say that's a wrong understanding of God's will. Brothers and sisters, God's will is not a target that you can miss and then you end up being outside of it and outside the realm of his blessing as a Christian. You can disobey God's will of command, but you cannot escape his will of decree. Is that not good? You can disobey his will of command and you know you're in the wrong if you do that. But you cannot escape his will of decree because all things ultimately happen according to his will of decree. That's so freeing. So the fact that you have disobeyed God at one juncture in no way means that you're confined to a life that's only God's second best. Yes, there are consequences for sin and foolishness, but even they operate within God's great eternal sovereign will and plan. So does God want you to get that job? I suppose the only way to try is to or the only way to find out is to try. If you succeed in getting it, I guess the answer is yes. Is it God's will that I take this job? Is a question about God's will of decree, not his will of command. And since scripture nowhere gives you the answer to that question, other than no, if the job clearly calls you to violate scripture. Okay. But since God's, uh, since scripture nowhere gives you the answer to that question, since God doesn't tell us his will of decree, that may not be the best question to ask. Is it God's will that I get this job? That may not be the best question to ask. A far better question is to ask this. Is it wise for me to take this job? Is it wise for me to pursue this relationship with this person? Is it wise for me to engage in this particular activity? That's a far better question for, for us to ask. Not is it God's will, but is it wise? That's a much better question for us to ask. In other words, does it seem that this job is the best way I can provide for my family and seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness? If so, go for it. Go for it. God will stop you if it is not his will of decree. Okay? He will stop you. Now, please don't get me wrong. Scripture does lay out principles for how we can make sound decisions. We talked about that a little bit in the past. We're going to cover it in the upcoming weeks But what I want to emphasize here is that there's no secret decoder ring. 
Okay, there is no secret will of God for your life that you're somehow responsible for finding. And if you don't find it, well, then you're just you're just forever and ever outside the will of God. Kind of a JV Christian. Okay, God's normal way to guide our decisions is the wisdom that he has given to us, informing us through his word and through the counsel of wise um, Brothers and sisters in the faith. Okay? So, a great prayer for us is that by His grace, we would make decisions that in turn uh, turn out to be wiser than we are. Okay? Here's how one author talks about this. Because I I really like this. So, um, here's how one author talks about it. I'll never forget my poor beleaguered roommate talking with me after her, after he took a risk and told that nice young lady that he liked her. It turned out that she wasn't interested, but instead of just saying, I'm not interested, or I don't like you, she went all spiritual on him. I've been praying a lot about you, she demurred, and the Holy Spirit told me no. (laughs) No, never, she replied. Poor guy. He got rejected not only by this sweet girl, but by the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity took a break from pointing people to Jesus to tell this girl not to date my roommate. I didn't know that was the Spirit's job description. This sort of accountability dodging jargon is the thing we want to avoid. If you aren't interested in dating or courtship or marriage or whatever, say no thanks or not now, but please don't make God the Spirit the bad guy in your relational messes. I think that's pretty awesome. Um... I'm glad you guys are awake this morning. I didn't have faith in you at the beginning. Okay, so with all of that under our belts, it's time to look at what God's will is for us. It's time to look at what God's will is for us. And His will is that we obey. His will is that we obey Him. John 14:21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Obviously, this is God's will of command, not His will of decree, since within... Um, uh, well, it, this is obviously his will of command, not his will of decree. And it is safe to say that it is God's will for us that we obey him. Now, what implications does this have for our decisions? Two things. Most obviously, we can have great confidence that God is never guiding us to make a decision that would involve disobeying his word. I know that seems super obvious, But stick around with Christians long enough and you will watch people work their way into confusion about this. I know she's not a Christian, but I just feel that God is calling me to marry her. And and maybe that's how she God wants her to become a Christian. I actually heard a married brother say, I think God is is leading me to divorce my wife. It's not his will that I be with her. Because I don't, we don't truly love one another. And I just said, brother, you are crazy. God's will is that you remain faithful to your wife. You are off the rails. Um, but he had convinced himself that since this love wasn't genuine, whatever that means, as I read 1 Corinthians 13, love is a commitment that endures apart from how you feel that Martin so well reminded us of yesterday. Who heard Martin? Who was here yesterday and just heard that talk? I was in tears. Thank you, brother. It was so good. It was so good. Um, God will never lead you in contradiction to his word. He will never lead you in contradiction to his word. 
Second, it's important to see how obedience in clear things grows us in wisdom to understand how to follow God in unclear things as well. Please, please think about that. It is important for you to see that obedience in clear things will help you be obedient in unclear things as well. Okay? Um, listen to Job 28, 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Or Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So notice the connection between obedience and wisdom. We are transformed instead of being conformed. We are transformed instead of being conformed. And when that happens, we will be able to better discern God's will. Quite often, it is not easy to know which path is the path of obedience, right? How do I talk with my coworker about his upcoming marriage to a man, right? It is not exactly clear how to best do that, right? We need wisdom. Well, how do we get wisdom? By obeying. Obey God in the places that you can see clearly, and he will give you wisdom to discern obedience in the places that right now are less clear and a little bit more fuzzy. Conversely, if you are rejecting obedience in places that you can see, perhaps you shouldn't be so surprised if much of what God is doing in your life seems fuzzy as well. Our conscience can be calibrated rightly and can be calibrated wrongly. If our consciences are calibrated rightly, then we have greater and greater wisdom and clarity and obedience and faithfulness. If, if our consciences are calibrated wrongly and we give ourselves over to things that we shouldn't, then we get more and more clouded, less and less clear, have less and less wisdom to make less and less wise decisions over time. Okay? So obedience in one realm leads to more wisdom, more faithfulness in another. Obedience in the clear realms leads to more obedience and wisdom in the unclear realms. Does that make sense? Second, his will is that we be holy. So number one, his will is that we obey him. Second, his will is that we be holy. First Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God. Sometimes people come to me, what's the will of God for me? Well, let me just open your Bible. First Timothy 4, First Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. This again is Paul's will of command. And what is his will of command? It's that we be holy. It's that we be holy. Now, why? Here's, here's a good question. Why would God reveal his will about something relatively trivial, like becoming holy, while, re, while hiding his will about really important things, like who you should marry, where you should retire, or what job you should pursue? Did you hear my question? Well... Perhaps we've done a poor job of assessing what decisions are really important. Going back to Kevin DeYoung again, here's how he puts it. The most important issues for God are moral purity, theological fidelity, compassion, joy, our witness, faithfulness, hospitality, love, worship, and faith. These are his big concerns. The problem is we tend to focus most of our attention on everything else. 
We obsess over things that God has not mentioned and may never mention, while by contrast we spend little time on the things God has revealed to us in His precious Word. Remember, God is most glorified as our work shows off His work. What you do for work may not nearly be as important as his assessment as as his assessment of how you do your work. Does that make sense? What you do for work is not nearly as important as his assessment of how you do your work. In other words, do you work as unto the Lord faithfully? That's what he's most pleased with, regardless of what you do for a living. Okay. Um, who you marry. Provided you're a Christian and you're marrying a Christian, who you marry may not be nearly as important as how you live out your life in marriage. So, so Hugh and Hannah can no longer ask, is it God's will for us to be married? It is. They're married. Um, okay. And now, now their job is to live out their marriage in faithfulness. Okay. Um, where you retire may not be nearly as important to him as how you steward your retirement. Right? So if we aligned our mental energy to the will of God that he has revealed to us, we might find ourselves con- concerned about radically different things. Now, pair this thought with Romans 8.28 and our eyes are really opened as to what's important in this life. Romans 8.28 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have, been a calling, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is working for the good of those who love him in all things. Now I have to be honest with you, and if my wife were here, she would say yes. There are times in my own life when I'm facing... So I don't mean that as a joke. She doesn't throw me under the bus. I know. I'm just saying if she were up here. I know she's here. I've seen you, baby. Thank you. If she were here, she would agree with what I'm about to tell you. There are times in my life... There's, often there are times in my life where I'm facing some trial of some sort and I can't for the life figure out how this trial is being used for my good. I can't for my life figure out how this life, how this trial is being used for my good. It seems, it seems utterly pointless. It, why does this have to happen to me? Serving you in all this, Lord. You know, so um, that's a bad attitude, by the way. <laughs> uh, so the problem is my conception of good doesn't match with God's conception of good. My conception of good is comfort, ease, and pleasure. And if you're with me in home groups, you know that I struggle with this, and I confess this to you. My conception of good is comfort, ease, and pleasure. That's my conception of good. But if we take a closer look at the passage, we see that what Paul means when he says that God works out all things for good for those who love him, we find that God equates good with being conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That is what God calls good. Not comfort, ease, and happiness, but being conformed into the image of Christ. That's what God defines as good, and that's what God works all things for in the life of believers. He works it for good, for you being conformed into the image of Christ. And that's a paradigm-shifting understanding of what good means, isn't it? Jesus, after all, was a man of sorrows, and so our becoming like him means our becoming acquainted 
with grief and suffering, yet remaining obedient and faithful to the end. Amen? Amen. So often, when we talk about not wanting to miss God's will for our lives, we have in mind a life free of pain and discomfort, a life in which we make the right choices every time, then we'll be in God's will, and our lives will go along smoothly. But not only is that a lie, it completely misses the point that the truly good thing God has in mind for us is our being conformed into the image of Christ. When we face trials of every kind, we need not fear that we are being punished for missing God's will for our lives through some mistake of our own. I'm just going to repeat that again. When we face trials of every kind, we need not fear that we are being punished for missing God's will for our lives through some mistake of our own. No, God is sovereign and his purposes cannot be thwarted. Then he can use even our bad decisions to bring about his purposes to make us like Christ. Remember, what is God's will for you? First Thessalonians 4. <laughs> Might be tough when it comes time for the sermon. What is God's will for you? First Thessalonians 4.3, that you be sanctified, that you may be holy. You know, we have, we have just a minute here. I think I'm going to be able to get to the end. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, do any of you have examples to offer? Just maybe one or two. Uh, do you have any examples to offer in your own life how God has worked through trials or possibly a bad decision on your part to bring about your good? you have any that you'd be willing to share? examples of trials in your life of how God has worked or possibly through a bad decision on your part, how God has worked through that to bring about your good. You being conformed more into the image of Christ. Okay. I see. Wonderful. Another example? Damien? Yeah, that was the impetus that caused you to come, wasn't it? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Matt? Yeah. 
You know, Chris and I, when we were very um, <clears throat> young and married, we married really young. We married when we were 21. And um, we were involved in a little church, and uh, the pastor had a, uh, a sinful relationship with a 16-year-old girl in the church. And it, it blew up the church, as those things have a tendency to do. Um, and it was, I think, the worst thing I'd ever experienced in my life up until that point. And, uh, but God worked so much good through that. He worked so much good through that in that Chris and I came to realize that any hidden sin between the two of us is absolutely life-threatening and deadly. Just absolutely deadly. These things never start with small decisions. Uh, these things never start with, never just happen. There's itty-bitty little decisions and hidden sin that goes on for a long time before big things like that happen. And we just covenanted we are not going to have any hidden sin between the two of us, which has, been, which has created pain at times uh, when I have sinned or when she has sinned. But yet, as a result of it, our relationship is intimate and close because we just don't tolerate hidden sin between the two of us. So God worked tremendous good out of that tremendous pain. It was very, very good. Uh, his will also is that Christ be exalted. Uh, I'll just read you Ephesians 1, 5 through 10. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, according to his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth, he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So we see God's will, up, we see God's will show up the first time in this passage as our adoption as sons and daughters, and most ultimately, in God's great work of uniting all things in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. God's will is for Christ to be exalted. And so we read in Ephesians, or we read also in, say, Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Now, what implications does this have for your decisions? Namely, that if we line up with God's, namely, that we line up with God's will. This is ultimately what God is about. He will make a name for himself for his son. And so as we think through Christian decision making, we also want to align our every decision we make with God's great unstoppable purpose to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one name, Jesus Christ. So we want to think about how our decisions are exalting Jesus Christ because that is the will of God. So let's think about how to do God's will. Let's just think about how to do God's will. Some of you may be thinking, okay, BJ, all this doctrine and stuff is good. I'm glad that I've learned between God's will of command and God's will of decree, but what am I supposed to do with this? I mean, since God is doing everything and his plans cannot be thwarted, should I just sit back and let him do the work? No. Though there's no specific secret will of God for your life that you need to search out and find, there is a way for you to actually do God's will. So, if you are following along on your handout, we're in our final section, How to Do God's Will. And to learn how to do God's will, we're going to take a look at one important passage to see what it has to say about doing the will of God. So, Matthew 5, or Matthew 6, 25 through 26, says this. Just make sure I have the right passage here. I believe I do. Matthew 6, 25-26, we read this. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? We can't miss what Jesus says here about worry and anxiety. Look back at the passage. Uh, Note at verse 30. It goes on a little bit. Note at verse 30. He attributes worry and anxiety to a lack of faith. O you of little faith. For Jesus, worry is a spiritual issue that must be fought with faith. We need to believe, we need to fight to believe that whatever troubles come to us today, that God gives grace and mercy for us to face them. This is the same Jesus, this is the same God, rather, who parted the seas, brought manna from heaven, made water to come from a rock, and sent his son in the world to die for our sins. Brothers and sisters, he will not fail you in your time of need. He will give you everything you need to live. God's way is not to show us the future, but instead to cause us to come to him each and every day, displaying our need for him and our dependence on him. So, backing up still, framing the question, but how do we do God's will? Well, we trust Him for the future. And by faith, we, make, we use the wisdom He has given us to make the best decisions we can. And what guides us to make those decisions, I think, is given to us partly in verse 33. What does it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Knowing the will of God has nothing to do with trying to listen for the voice of God or to interpret the signs or dreams or subjective feelings that you have. It is about loving God, cherishing His commands, and pursuing holiness with every ounce of energy that we have. We don't find the will of God by asking, what is the will of God for my life, or how can I know God's plan for my life? Instead, we find the will of God by asking, am I seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness? That is God's will for our life. And I just want to read for you a quote from Kevin DeYoung's book on guidance that I think sums up well what we've been thinking about today. He says this, by the way, if you haven't read Kevin DeYoung's short little book, it's encouraging and freeing and and, and, and talks about the things that we're talking about here. His book is called Just Do Something. Okay? He talks about the, the paralyzing fear that comes along from thinking God's will is the choose-your-own-adventure book, and if you get it wrong, then you're off the path. Um, his book is called Just Do Something. He says this, Simply put, God's will is your growth in Christ-likeness. God promises to work all things together for our good, that we might be conformed to the image of His Son, And the degree to which this sounds like a lame promise is the degree to which we prefer stones and scorpions of this world from the true bread from heaven. God never assures us of health, success, or ease, but he promises us something better. He promises to make us loving, pure, and humble like Christ. In short, God's will is that you and I get happy and holy in Jesus. The only chains God wants us to wear are the chains of righteousness, not the chains of hopeless subjectivism, not the shackles of risk-free living, not the fetters of horoscope decision-making, just the chains befitting a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Die to self, live for Christ, and then do what you want and go where you want for God's glory. That's a really good quote.
That's a really good quote. So we've got a few minutes. Let me just ask you a couple of questions to kind of just frame discussion that we might have. How has today changed how you think about God's will? That's a question you could think through and you might share with us. How has today changed the way you think about God's will? Maybe another question to think through. Does understanding that there's a difference between God's will of decree and his will of command free you up to make decisions differently and with more confidence? That's something to think about. Is there anything today that was confusing to you? Uh, Or maybe what's your big takeaway from today? Discussions, thoughts. Soliloquies. No, not soliloquies, Donda. I was just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah. That's great. Chris. Yeah, well, I think our best answer for that is what uh, <clears throat> Joseph said to his brothers. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. So there's a sense in which our sin is comprehended under God's will of decree, and it does not thwart his will of decree. Uh, and it will still be accomplished even through our sin. So God, Joseph's brothers were sinning uh, against Joseph, against God, by their evil actions. Yet it was ordained by God, ultimately for Joseph's good, for Egypt's good, for the world's good, for everything. I think that in principle can be taken and applied to us in our decisions as well. Yeah, And that obviously points us ultimately to the cross. Yeah, well, you just know that's not true in your... I mean, I think that's you trying to philosophically make these all just fit perfectly in boxes, which they don't. 
we know based on real life that we're not puppets. But that we can also see in Scripture um, called the doctrine of compatibilism, that God works in and through our own desires to accomplish his own will. We are moral creatures that make moral decisions. Some are right and some are wrong. And, some are, and they're, they're all comprehended ultimately under God's sovereign providential will. And we're still held accountable for them. Steve? mentioned um, that uh, at times things that are a little outside the fog of war, as it were, it may be hard to see the wisdom in those things. Yes. It's hard to, to decipher, but it's, it's a blessing that the Lord has given us fellow brothers and sisters who have oftentimes walked through those things before. So I think one of those things that I found terribly helpful, even just for me about eight, nine months ago when I had to make a job decision, was just, hey, you know, given these two options, what do you do? And, and, and I couldn't figure it out, but, but by God's grace, we have many brothers and sisters here with a lot more experience on such things. It was helpful to inject wisdom into that decision. Absolutely. Um, there was no, no fear that somehow we'd be you know, wildly outside of God's plan for our lives, but certainly wisdom is something that comes with age and experience and, and so on and so forth. So I, I just, uh, it was very helpful to, Absolutely. to, uh, to seek counsel for those decisions that were just a little bit outside of our own thought of war. Absolutely. So, Sonia. Can I? Oh, Sonia beat you. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Sonia. Yeah. Thinking about like public school or something. Yeah. Um, how do you, I mean, I think seeking counsel is good, but like how do you um, really like assess your own motives? You know what I mean? Like because you could do something. Sure. Like sending your kid to public school is not sinful, but maybe your motive is. Like is there like a way to kind of check your own motives? I think that's a great question. So first of all, all of our motives are always marbled with some sin. Can we just get that out on the table? Our motives are always marbled with some type of sin, but that doesn't mean we, we are entirely thereby disqualified because of our motives. It, you know, the decision could still be overall right, and we, we understand we have some mixed motivations, but we're trying to make the right decision. I think a, just a healthy distrust of yourself and an open uh, relationship with trusted and more mature brothers and sisters is the most helpful thing in that regard. So... Every man seems right in his own eyes, the proverb says, but your neighbor comes and searches him out. A man's heart is a deep well, right? Um, but a man of wisdom draws it out. So I think we should just have a, a healthy distrust of our own motives, recognizing that there is remaining sin. And then I think that we should be honest about those things with others who can help us sometimes see more clearly than we can. Uh, and sometimes can even just help us see, yes, I do see this about your motives, but this is still a good decision. Um, and so, yeah, take that to the Lord, but overall, all things said, this seems like a good decision. Or, well, yeah, I think you need to think more about your motives, and it, it may be that this isn't a good decision. But I think that's just where a trusted brother or sister is uh, very, very helpful. I think we always want to be, I mean, if I have a bad motive, I want to repent of the bad motive. I do. But even having a bad motive, it, well, yes, of course, he, hold on. <laughs> you're doing what I do with my wife. And she's like, honey, you're finishing my sentence. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, 
so I'm trying to throw myself under the bus, not as much you. Um, so, yeah, I think we still need to repent of bad motives, but even, a, even the decision partly based on bad motives may still be the right decision. And brothers and sisters can help us make that. And with that, we are out of time. John Murray, I'm going to take it offline. You can come to me afterwards. Aha, she beat you. Sorry, man. Um, so let me close our time in prayer. And then uh, our service will start at 1030. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Uh, please help us, Father, to be wise decision makers for your glory, for our good. Thank you, Father, for the freedom to know that if we are seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness and just trying to make good decisions, then in essence we can live by the mantra, you know, love God and do what you want. Uh, because we're not going to mysteriously miss the target of your will and forever be lost in a maze of, uh, of being outside the will of God. Um, so I, I just thank you for that freeing reality. Uh, and I pray, Father, you'd help us to continue to learn and grow how to make good, learn and grow in how to make good decisions. Uh, that honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.